Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hello again, it's China Manufacturing Decoded, episode 87 now. Adrian from the team here and Sophist's CEO Renaud is joining me. Renaud, hi. Hi. Hi everybody. How's it going? Yes, uh, going okay here. Really cold uh, up in the UK, I'm afraid, which isn't uh, which isn't so fun. And uh, energy prices a little bit difficult around the world, so it's uh, it's expensive to keep the house warm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's the usual the usual uh, problems keep going on uh, as we go into 2022. Yes, well, sorry for you. Yeah, yeah. Here <laughs> in South China is 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 nice. It's nice weather. So.、Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a good time of the year. Actually, it's quite mild, isn't it? Sort of,、uh, it's not too hot, but it's it's a pleasant time. So that's that's good. Of course, when we talk about the difference between Europe and South China, there's a big difference in in the number of COVID cases and the the COVID situation as well. And I mean, that's the first port of call for this podcast episode, isn't it? Yes, because how to say things are getting tighter. <laughs> mm. uh, in 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 China, and there is a serious risk here. I mean, we've been saying that on and off on this podcast for the past、uh, I don't know the past six months,、yeah. um, at least.、Uh, but this is the 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 time where、um, I, I I really have the impression that. China is on the verge of just, you know, being submerged. In the past, you know, so far you had like one little cluster here and one little cluster there, and then like they were fixing, they were putting out a fire here. It was starting somewhere else, but you know, it was not like all over the place. Here, what we see is that clusters are popping up, basically. All over eastern China,、mm. um, and a little bit in in the northwest also with Xi'an,、uh, which is the most serious,、um, you know, the case with the most serious restrictions at at, at this time, with、yeah. people who are not not allowed to go out and things like that. But well, with you know Dongguan and Shenzhen,、um, you know, people have been tested. Everybody, seventeen million people have been tested over the weekend in Shenzhen and. And there's tests going on again, so they they do these batch tests, right?、Um, with I don't know how many, fifty or hundred people at a time.、Uh, you queue up. It's very well organized with testing centers right there in your neighborhood. And、uh, if if they find that there's a case in the batch, then they they they, they call you back to test again to see who who it is. And 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 well, the thing is. In a city like Shenzhen, you know, you're never going to have 100.00% of the people. Plus, the tests are not always、uh, working correctly, right? You have、um, people who are positive with a test that shows negative. That just、yeah. happens. So, anyway,、um, very hard to 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 keep、uh, things under control these days. The the Ningbo port is 
kind of starting to be impacted, it seems, or might be impacted. I've read things about that. So there, there, there might be, again, a direct impact on, on logistics. But you, now you're really talking pretty much all along the, um, the East Coast. There are clusters here and there. In Tianjin, they tested, I don't know how many, millions of people again. Um, 14 and, million, I think. Yeah, maybe. Um, and 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 just recently, what what did I hear? There's, there's a case also in Dalian in the north. I mean, and this is particularly worrisome because the Olympics are starting in that area. I mean, in the northeast, uh, in and around Beijing, uh, pretty soon. Yeah. So, ouch! The power that be in in, in Beijing are not going to to relax on that. They, 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 they're going to jump on it and try to squash it. And, 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 and what, you know, sort of whatever happens to the economy, if it really gets in Beijing and around Beijing, you can expect some very, very serious restrictions there, I think, because they, they want to have the Olympics go smoothly. I heard that uh, Volkswagen have closed two of their plants right. in Tianjin. And that's, I think that's news from today. The, uh, we're recording on the 13th of January. So uh, this is, this has just happened. I mean, so uh, there's been a lot of talk since Omicron has started going around. There have been warnings in the media, you know, this is going to impact supply chains. And when we look at China in particular, I suppose they're talking about China more than other countries. Of course, problems in India with it, Vietnam, I'm sure, but China's the big one. And, the problem with Omicron, I mean, in the UK alone, and I know that France was quite similar to the UK in terms of the cases, We, I think the case is almost quintupled in about a month. So if that, if that happens in China, where do we find ourselves? Because there's a, there's a number of, as you've said, big cities that are pretty much locked down at the moment. And I mean, how, if that keeps going on, do we go into a full lockdown in China? That's a good question, and really nobody knows. This new variant, yeah, it showed in, in the UK and in France that it, it just transmits so much faster, mm. right? so much more easily. In France, they, they say there's, there, there was about, or there has been recently, you know, something like 300,000 new cases per day, and then... Um, wow. But people say that a lot of people don't even declare it. So it's more like half a million uh, yeah. per day, yeah. right? In the country of, what, 65 million. Uh, that, that, that's amazing. And, and in the UK, it's really the same proportions. Yes. And it, it's, uh, I don't know, it's four times more contagious than the Delta variant. Is that something I read somewhere? Something like mm-hmm. that. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. that have had this variant. And most of the people, thankfully they were not particularly ill. So I think that's the big difference. But that's not going to stop China, you know, locking down because they just don't want it at all, do they? That's for sure. Um, It has become sort of a political statement um, Mm. between the CCP and and, and the population. You know, let's, let's keep this outside of China. That's, you know, is the sign of a good government to maintain good public health, and uh, you can see how effective we are at uh, keeping everything under control. 
and look at how bad you know Brazil and India and the US and so on are, are doing. Mm. These governments don't don't care about their people. They don't know what they're doing. They're weak government, right? So how do you go from this kind of um, uh, worldview to just opening the gates? It's not going to happen right away. That's the problem. There's got to be a middle ground where you've got to learn to live with it. And that doesn't mean just let it rip through the population. But on the other hand, completely closing off, it, it, it appears that that's not necessarily working either. So I just don't know. I, I, I think it's uh, a concerning time if you've got supply chains in China, because there's a lot of uncertainty, right? Mm, right, right. So let's look at the timing. Chinese New Year is coming and the Olympics in Beijing are coming. So they're going to, you know, and Chinese New Year, as I think a lot of people know, is the time where a lot of people who migrated to the cities go back to the hometown. And that is really when when a virus can spread the best because it's it's a absolutely enormous uh, human migration yeah. at this period. Now, there are very serious travel restrictions in China right now, within China. Right. So if you want to go from, I don't know, let's say somewhere in Guangdong to somewhere in Zhejiang or Jiangsu, you're going to have to, to, to test and test and test, but also you might be put in a, in a hotel for, for a quarantine. Right. Mm. So a lot of people are holding off on, on, on traveling within China. So there's going to be less, uh, less uh, traveling over Chinese New Year, especially as the, the Eastern uh, cities, you know, like Ningbo, like Shenzhen, and so on, where a lot of these migrant workers are uh, located, um, have some cases. So they're not going to be able to go back to, to Hunan, to Hubei, to Jiangxi, to, no. to Sichuan, and so on that easily. Uh, so that's um, that's the mm. situation. Now, so I think very serious restrictions on travel. And Nothing in the policy will change until after the Olympics. And I think, yeah, again, I'm not optimistic. I think China's really going to struggle and they're not going to reopen the borders and, and, and just go back to, to the previous situation where everybody was free to, to move around and so on in 2022. But let's see. Let's see. Yeah. As an importer, as you mentioned, is is the risk of yeah some factories having to close. So yeah, that's the problem. Mm. Yeah, and it's definitely been happening. I mean, I think in 2021 they got away with it at Chinese New Year because I remember us having this conversation on the podcast last year about Chinese New Year and the risks with COVID. And I think fewer people travelled, but it was still probably around a million journey, a billion sorry journeys. Uh, and they really got away with it. It didn't seem that there were particularly big problems. But as you've said, I just can't see that being the same this year. Right, right, right. I think we have to wait and see. We will, but uh, we'll keep talking about it on the podcast and try and you know keep everybody up to date because, after all, you're coming from South China, so you, you can literally give you know real updates on what, what's going on there. Right, today's main topic... NNN agreements. So what is an appropriate 
NNN agreements. That's what uh, I'm driving at in this particular episode. And this is something that we've written about a lot. Often we're advising people this is really something that's quite essential when working with, you know, outsourced uh, manufacturers in China or, or, of course, in other countries as well. So I suppose just to get started, it's always good to explain what it is. So mm. please, Renaud, what is an NNN agreement? So let's say you, you, you have your own product or maybe you're going to work with a supplier and even if you distribute their own products, they might, you know, maybe your, your packaging will be custom designed or, or, or maybe they're going to know some information maybe about um, your supplier, your, sorry, your customers or anything that you just don't want them to, um, to uh, you know, let's say that you think is confidential. They should keep it. Uh, they should keep quiet about it, and they should not use that information against you or, or for any other purpose. Mm. Um, so, I think everybody listening to this podcast has already had to sign an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, and a non-disclosure agreement basically. So there's an infinite variety of templates, of course, but the, the key, let's say, terms of an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, is, you know, goes like this. Okay, so there's these two parties, you know, one of them is going to disclose information to the other, or maybe it's mutual. Maybe both of them might disclose information to the other. But anyway, there are some obligations uh, concerning the information that is confidential. So what is confidential information, right? So typically, you know, any drawings you send to a supplier, uh, and and you know things like that information about the product information about your marketing strategy and so on that has to be kept confidential so that means the supplier should not make it public should not share it with any other party uh, and then should also keep keep it relatively um secure even within their organization because you know let's say they have like a big team uh, who have all have access to the same shared drive with no restriction whatsoever you might have uh, 300 people who have access to the share, same shared drive and then you put the information in there maybe only five of these people are going to work on that project but all 300 can actually have access to it that's not good right it should be restricted to people who um, actually have a need to know have a need to access that information and 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 some other um, you know th- there's this should be a, a basic level of information security right uh, and 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 um, and the obligations have some limitations such as uh, if it becomes public you know somebody else with a, no relationship with the disclosure makes it public for example uh, you know or maybe the sorry, with the recipient, makes it public, uh, then the recipient is no longer obligated to keep it confidential, right? Okay, it's in the public domain. Look, everybody can know about it. Uh, that, that's an example, right? So when you're working with a supplier in China, in India, in Vietnam, in other places, you don't want them to disclose your, you know, the information that is confidential. Uh, you want them to keep it reasonably secure but it's not enough and that's where the idea of the nnn comes in Uh, you don't want them to use that information uh, especially if it's for competing against you Mm. Uh, you know you don't want them to 
to use it to make the same product or something on the basis of your product that they start to sell and they make a profit on it and things like that. You also don't want them to uh, circumvent you, right? That's the third end. So non-disclosure, non-use, non-circumvention. So circumvention meaning that maybe you are buying, I don't know, do-it-yourself tools and you set it to Home Depot and to Lowe's and to Hayes Hardware. Okay, if they know about that, and very often the supply, you know, the, the, the manufacturers end up knowing about that. Well, well, you know, there is a temptation that maybe maybe they sell it to you for three dollars, and then you incur, you know, all the transportation costs and everything and everything, and then you sell it for whatever five point five dollars or six dollars, or you know, or let's say four point five dollars. Hmm. Well, you know, they might be tempted to go directly to Lowe's and Home Depot and everything and try to squeeze you out and make some of your margin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And yeah, that's circumventing you, the importer, because they might think, yeah, hey, you're just a middleman. I can go direct to these guys and sell to them. Well, that's very damaging to the importer because. In general, these big box retailers, you know, they already squeeze the retailer pretty hard. They don't really want to deal directly with the manufacturer. They don't really care about that. But it means the manufacturer, you know, can be trusted. It means, you know, maybe they, they're going to get some uh, lower pricing. So they're going to use it against the importer to put more pressure on the importer uh, and, and, and so on. So it's really not good for, for the importer. So they really need mm. to make sure that the, the, um, the manufacturer is not going to play these kind of games. So that, that that's what an NNN is. It, usually also restricts the use of the confidential information for a certain purpose. Um, you know, you can use it to manufacture the product for us. You cannot use it for anything else. And it usually has a certain term for the obligations. You know, uh, there's a lot of NDAs with a term of two years, but, you know, three years, five years, uh, all of that is 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 relatively standard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, interesting stuff. The protecting IP and protecting your business is something we've spoken about, written about, and and focus a lot, and uh, for good reason. So all of that makes a lot of sense. And the benefits are there in the title of this particular agreement, non-disclosure, non-use, and non-circumvention. So that's clear so far. There are some issues that some importers have when they're trying to draft and use these agreements though and and maybe sometimes they're getting something wrong or there's a bit of a disconnect between what they think the nnn agreement is providing them and what 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 Mm. what should really be happening and that's why i mentioned you know i'm trying to get the bottom of what an appropriate nnn agreement is so looking at what what can go wrong i mean how how can you expand on this please yeah, it's, it's always easier to say, you know, what's what's wrong than uh, what exactly you should do because there are different cases and, and uh, it's not all the case, you know, where you can use the same template and you're mm-hmm. always going to be fine. So what well, the most common is that you, you've been doing some business domestically or maybe, you know, you're in Germany, you've been doing business in, you know, with German companies and Swiss companies and Austrian companies, and you, you have some 
you, you see what, you know, you have a few NDA templates and then you say, well, I'm going to reuse it for this Chinese supplier that I'm going to work with, right? Or in the US, uh, you know, you, you've been doing some business, let's say North American, and you want to use the same template uh, for, for some manufacturing in Asia. Well, <laughs> that is really uh, a huge mistake because you're going to um, you're going to use a contract. You know, you're going to believe that you can you can um, that is going to help you. However, in most cases, it would be unenforceable for one reason or another. You know, it might be unenforceable because it calls for litigation in a court of justice in, in, in New York State, for example. Well, that's really not going to help you at all in China. Uh, they, they're not going to enforce your judgment, even if you win in, in that court of justice in New York City, right? And, and there are some other reasons why, you know, just because the, the terms are, are not appropriate and are not not written correctly, uh, it's not going to take to be taken into account. Right. So uh, that is by far the, the 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 most common issue. And another common issue is that people say, okay, I'm going to manufacture in China, and then instead of thinking, you know, and, and working with a lawyer who will ask the right questions, they actually. Um, they, they, they search, they ask people, I don't know what they do, and then they say, okay, I need an NNN agreement for China uh, because they read about that somewhere. Great. And they think, you know, what's, what's wrong? It's a template that I can just use it. Uh, manufacturing is going to be in China. Okay. But it's not enough. You need to have more of a comprehensive approach to, to, to legal matters. Who is going to be your supplier first? Maybe it's going to be a um, supplier you know, that arranges manufacturing in China. Maybe the manufacturing is done in their own facility. Maybe it's a joint venture. Maybe they, you know, they own 50%, maybe. Or maybe it's, um, maybe they act as a trading company and that uh, manufacturing facility is, uh, is is a totally separate company. Uh, maybe there's, um, there's some uh, shared control, you know, common control or not. Uh, you, you know, who are you going to contract with for uh, for development, especially for manufacturing, right? Um, if it's maybe the mother companies in Hong Kong, um, you know, isn't it uh, isn't it smart to to contract with a mother company that has subsidiaries that will do the manufacturing, and uh, you know they're not going to be able to disappear tomorrow. They have uh, business relationships with a number of their customers through that Hong Kong company. The Hong Kong company owns. Uh, you know, subsidiaries in maybe in different countries and so on. Um, and the good thing about doing it in Hong Kong is that it's it's much more uh, predictable than Chinese courts, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's the English uh, legal system pretty much. So that might be good, you know. Or maybe you 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 set you set it in 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 another country if you don't want to be in the country of the supplier. Maybe you said it in Singapore, maybe you said it in England, you know, for, as, as the, the choice of law and as the, the place uh, for the litigation, either arbitration or, or litigation. Um, it doesn't matter that much, actually, from uh, discussions with lawyers. So, you know, you need to think about that. You're not going to 
try to to force them to sign something in China where actually uh, <laughs> you 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 sort of shooting yourself in the foot because uh, do you really want to litigate in China? <laughs> mm. You know, uh, you, the legal fees might be higher. There's going to be more more work for translating everything, uh, and then the the quality of the, the 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 judges, you know, and their work varies enormously from one court to the other. So you might you might be in for surprises, right? So these are some very common uh, issues, and then you you mentioned. That they, they they sometimes try to uh, to 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 include some terms that are not very balanced. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny because we've had this conversation with a number of potential clients, and they they come to us and they send their templates, and we have a look at it and we flag a uh, you know one or two uh, terms that are you know clearly not standard, and we tell them look you know this is not standard. We're only going to sign it if it's you know, relatively standard. Um, we're not totally rigid, but we're not going to go off the, the usual uh, the usual path. And then, you know, they come back to us and say, oh, but this, you know, the, this Chinese supplier um, just uh, signed it and say, no problem. Yeah, okay, well, who tells you they, re- they actually even read it? Uh, maybe they, they don't care because they don't think they're going to be sued anyway or, or, or whatever, right? Uh, or they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's several examples about that. And we, um, we actually uh, wrote an article about that a while ago um, on, on the Sophie's blog. There's a few examples. They're kind of funny. Um, the first one is a close, uh, an American uh, buyer had that close and he did not really uh, think it was crazy now when, when i explained it and he was like okay okay that's reasonable let's let's remove it but it's funny it, it said if it is found that any third party gains access to any of the owner's ip it is seen as due to the actions of the supplier unless they prove otherwise like if there's an uh, an unauthorized disclosure by default you know it's going to be like you, you your head is going to be <laughs> you know on the line uh, yeah. Your next going to be on the line, um, whether it's you or not. Whether you know, we, we don't need to have any proof of it. Actually, you have to prove you have not disclosed it. Like, how can you prove you haven't done something? You know, that 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 is just <laughs> laughable. You know, um, but this is the kind of things that that people put in there. And then another one that's very common is. When, when people hear about scaring Chinese companies and making sure that, you know, if they intend to do something wrong, you know, make it clear that they will pay through the nose and, oh, and Chinese courts need to be, need to see a contract that's extremely specific and that does not leave any chance to the judge to, to make changes to it and da, 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 da. And then they are very good at enforcing it. Then what do people do? They say, well, there's an automatic damage, you know, uh, for every breach, you have to pay a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And well, number one, that's dumb because a Chinese judge, if they think that it is disproportionate, will not apply it. <laughs> so first, it's not smart. Uh, you, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Mm. And number two, why not? Why not just let the judge? see what the damages are, because you can sue for damage in China. 
and just you know come to a reasonable assessment and 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 get to a number and get them to pay in china you can sue for damages you can use uh, injunctive relief you can do a, a bunch of stuff to stop a counterparty from disclosing confidential information uh, that they're not supposed to disclose so um this is you know if it's if it's like disproportionately high again it's it's just not smart right oh yeah another one is we, we saw it um maybe a couple of times maybe three or four times is that well the company owners will be personally liable if something like this happens and i can understand where they come from but you're dealing with a you know a structured company and everything why you need to go after the the owners you know uh, if you really want to keep your information confidential then you, know, you need to request information about how they keep the information um you know secure do they have some systems about information security um how do they restrict the the sharing of the information within their their organization and things like that uh, and and you need to check if it's a real business and if they have you know yeah if they have a real again a real business a real business would not not really play games with that why would they risk because there's no no limit on the on the damages that they might have to pay right in case of undisclosed uh oh, sorry unauthorized disclosure of very valuable in intellectual property i mean there's basically no um no ceiling on how much they might have to pay if they do that. So they're putting their wood business at risk. So just make sure you work with a, a real business, a legitimate business, and that they know what they're doing. They have some systems in place. Don't try to go after the owners personally. It's just ridiculous. I mean, the, the concept of a business, <laughs> you know, um, if it's not an individual, what is it called? Yeah, like a sole property ship or a sole trader yeah, kind of company. If it, if, if it is a, a business, usually, you know, the, the directors are liable. If there's mismanagement, uh, they can be liable personally anyway. Uh, you know, why do you want to add to that? This usually mm. comes from people who don't understand what the levers really are, right? Mm. And then one, uh, and I had a discussion earlier this week with someone, actually someone quite smart from um, U.S. East Coast, I'll leave it at that. But he felt that he had a you know, genius idea and he spent so many days and months uh, working out the engineering design of his you know, genius product and so, uh, you know, um, such a novel and revolutionary product that, that that's going to be a huge success and everything. So, you know, people are always over-optimistic, right? Um but who knows? I mean, I, I hope that's true. But in general, what I mean is that uh, people tend to overvalue the, 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 the you know, the, the, the value of their um, their designs as long as they're not executed into a proper business that has market traction and really moves products. But anyway, and then you say, no, no, the, the, the obligations of the NNN have to remain in place in perpetuity. And you know, I ask a few questions and it's like, no, no, that's a matter of principle. Even in 20 years, you're not supposed to be able to do anything with my confidential information. And I'm like, dude, you know, this is, okay. <laughs> Forget it. You know, uh, you, you should talk to a lawyer. Just, you know, let's leave it at that. Talk to a lawyer, 
if you understand why it's misplaced, come back to me because it's, it would be too long to explain. But uh, there's a number of things. First, as, as a business that actually has a system in place uh, for managing all these obligations, you don't want to accumulate some forever running kind of obligations, right? Because in 50 years, uh, if you do that, you're going to have, you know, uh, 1,000 or 5,000 of these, mm. uh, and you, you're going to be forced to keep these obligations. You know, how uh, is it just adds an, um, a pretty heavy extra burden on, on, on the management of your data. And, and, and there's other, there's other reasons. I mean, in, in, in some cases, just that will, um, will show up as an unreasonable restraint, restraint on trade. And in some jurisdictions, it will actually make the wool NDA or NNN actually, um, unenforceable, completely mm. void. <laughs> so you actually have zero protection just because you wanted to go overboard with that protection. And that's the case in Chicago and in, in, in different places in the US even, right? So people people should talk with a real business lawyer if they want to go you know, out of the standard terms uh, because what they're going to end up doing is Work with a supplier that doesn't care because they haven't really read it, um, which actually is a source of concern, <laughs> and 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 they they might actually be shooting themselves in the foot, and you know get a contract and count on it where actually it's unenforceable, so mm-hmm. it's not going to help them at all. I, we're not lawyers. I think we should make that very very clear here. Sure. Uh, this this is only uh, based on our uh, let's say. Um, let's say it's business advice, not coming from lawyers, let's say it this way. And, the, you know, my understanding of these issues is obviously a very shallow com- compared to a business lawyer. So mm-hmm. I'll talk to your lawyer. Okay. But I, I, I hope that, um, you know, maybe it clarified things a little bit and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and some of the, the listeners will, will avoid some of these mistakes. A word that you've mentioned a, a few times is proportional, right? So I suppose mm-hmm. if you're relatively new to NNN agreements being used, say, in China, the guidance you've provided today is helpful because how do you know what, what's sort of going too far? Uh, and, and so you've really outlined some very, very uh, helpful instances uh, which will help you know the listener to mold and to draft an appropriate NNN agreement. Yeah, I think very clear. Mm. Hope it's useful, yes. Yeah. If you do want to learn more about NNN agreements and protecting IP when working with Chinese manufacturers, definitely worth checking out the show notes because we've got some resources and blog posts there which I'll be including and you can look into this topic further. Yeah, uh, thanks, Renaud. Very, very helpful info on NNN agreements today and also at the top of the show, the COVID situation in China, which is getting more uh, difficult as the days go by in some ways. Mm, Yes. (laughs) In the rest of the month, there are some good guests coming up, as we've mentioned, so looking forward to those as well. But until then, yeah, catch you next time. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Catch you next time. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. 
We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T.com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.